Well, welcome, everyone. Welcome. It's starting to feel like winter, eh? <laughs> the white stuff isn't going away so fast. But that's okay, because God created the seasons, and I actually love the seasons, you know? If it was always summer, I think I'd get bored of it. But when winter comes, when the seasons come, this is how God had created things and designed things. And that is a wonderful thing. But we know that God is always in control of everything. And it's interesting because God put on my heart to, to do this series that started in December. And it was the journey to Jerusalem. And it starts in Luke chapter 9. And I had the first message back in Luke chapter 9. It was ironic. And, and you can see how God leads that Pastor Joel actually preached in the section of the journey last week. And we are on a journey as a church, as you heard. We're on a journey, but behind that journey is Jesus Christ and his spirit. And while we might venture into different places, we might be in, in different areas, he is always in control. And it says, and I'm going to take us back a little just so we remember what we're talking about. And it started in Luke chapter 9, verse 51. And it says that as the days drew near for him to be taken up. And this was Jesus' vision. As the days drew near to be taken up. And what Jesus was seeing, it was time for him to leave Galilee. For him to be lifted up not only on the cross but after victory on the cross to be lifted up to be with the Father. For what? So that he may send the counselor to be with us and that the church would grow. And that was his vision. And so it says that he set his face to go to Jerusalem. He was determined when it says he set his face. It meant there was nothing that he was going to allow to inter interrupt that mission of his. And as he goes on this mission, he is inviting all of us to be part of that, each and every one of us. And here's, here's the wonderful thing, and this is how great God is. This is how great God is. We also read from Ephesians 2.4, 2.4 to 6, and it says this, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. You see that? God loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Made us alive together with Christ. And here's the amazing part. By grace you have been saved. By grace you have been saved. Not by what we have done, but what by God has done. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That last part blew me away when I first read it. We were dead in our trespasses before we accepted Jesus Christ, before we even knew who God was. He saw us in the heavenly places. Do you see that? And that makes us so different than any other religion in the world. See, every other religion in the world, you've got to either be born into it culturally, you've got to go through some ceremony, and then you spend the rest of your life, you know, working towards some kind of level of 
purity or holiness. But with Jesus Christ, that doesn't happen. It's the only religion, if I can put it that way, the only faith in the entire world where you do not achieve your purity and your entrance into heaven at the end of your journey, at the end of all your works, at the end of all your efforts, at the end of all the sermons. At the, you achieve it at the very beginning. God chose you even before you realized you were a Christian. Just think about this. This is jaw-dropping. God saw you even when you were a sinner. And some of us in our vilest states, and I can tell you, I was in several vilest states. I couldn't even understand looking back at the old man who I was. How God could see me in the heavenly places even at that time. There is no other religion in the world except this one. No other faith that does that. Not by any effort of our own. And so, the journey starts. And Jesus starts. And in that journey, as when we read in the scriptures, they went to the first Samaritan village. And we saw how, after three years of Jesus' teaching, when we, when we had that, that first message, how the disciples didn't get it. They didn't understand. They went to the first village. And what happened in that first village? They went to that first village, and the village rejected them. It says, look, if Jesus is going to Jerusalem, we don't want you here. And this was in Samaria. We don't want you here. So what did the disciples do? They came back and they said, Jesus, let's throw fire and brimstone on them. <laughs> right? How dare they reject Jesus Christ? Let's punish them. That's a very human reaction. But here's something else. On top of that, it was the Jews going into Samaritan village. And you got to understand, there was no love lost between the Jews and the Samaritans. And so all of a sudden you start to see, wait a minute, this is three years of learning how Jesus taught, the love he taught. And here you have two of his disciples wanting to bring fire and brimstone on an entire village. And Jesus had to rebuke them. And we saw they had no understanding whatsoever. And you see, just before in chapter 9 in Luke, if you read through, he had just sent out the 12, right? He just sent out the 12, and they went out, and in Jesus' name, so many miracles and so many things had happened. And yet here they are, behaving the way they are. And we later see at the end of this journey that they thought that what Jesus was going to do was raise up an army, take over the throne, and establish an earthly kingdom. <laughs> Peter brought out his sword, right? Chopped off the servants here. This was a sign that even with Jesus here trying to teach them, they didn't get it. They didn't get it. But this is what happened. Something beautiful happened. And we're going to explore this. You see, I'd like to turn to Luke 10, 23. 
And Jesus, in the middle of this, he's going to send out the 72 in a minute, and we're going to get to that. But at the end, Jesus says, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. What is it that they saw? What is it in that promise that is for us today? Why is that important? Are you ready? Let's go on that journey. Amen. All right, let's go to chapter 10 right at the very beginning. Starting with verse 1, and we're going to read through a bit of this. All right? And it says this, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others. What did he do? He appointed. I want you to take note of this word, appointed. So it wasn't just the 12 that were following him. There were many, many more disciples that were with him. And amongst the many, the second time he sent them out, and Luke is the only one of the Gospels that talks about this, he went and appointed them. He went and chose them. He said, you, you, and you, and you. He appointed them. And he sent them ahead of him. You see, he had sent them ahead to prepare the way. The plan is in place. He already knows that he is going to be risen up. He realizes what's going to happen. But they don't. They have no idea. They have no idea what's to come. But Jesus knows what's to come. He has an understanding and he has a plan. And he's appointed the 72 to go out. And he sent them ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. Do you see that? He sent them out to where he was about to go. What does that mean? It means he knew where he was going. He knew what was going to happen. He had planned for it, and he was sending them there ahead of him. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, and we heard this last week, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. And then in verse 3, it says, go your way. Go your way. He sends them out again. Go. Go your way. And then we jump down, and it goes through. And Jesus here, as he's talking to the 72, he's being very specific. Jesus' plan is very specific, very detailed but very simple. And this is what we can take note of. Sends them two by two, gives them instructions on what to do when they are to arrive there. He gives them instructions on when to stay and when to go. He's very specific. He knows exactly what needs to get done. He's very detailed, but it's very simple. And this is important for us to take note of. You see, when the Bible puts in details, right? Isn't it, John, it says there were so many things that Jesus did and say that there isn't enough paper in the world to write it down? But when the Bible provides details, there's a reason. And these details tell us that Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen and knew exactly how things should be done. And he was very specific, but it was very simple and straightforward, not hard to follow. And then this is what he says. In, in verse 9, heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near you. Take note, it also says that even dust of the town, like even if they reject you, you tell them that the kingdom of God has come near you. What was Jesus referring to? He had sent out the disciples. Now remember, Pentecost hasn't happened yet. 
The Spirit of God isn't living inside these disciples yet. But nonetheless, the Spirit of God is working. And we see throughout the Old Testament, even in today's world, just because there are people out there who are not believers, just because when we were not believers and, and God saw us in heaven because of Jesus Christ did, does not mean that the kingdom of God was not near. Wasn't God there for us, guiding us to him, bringing people in our path to bring us nearer and nearer to him? Do you see that? When God seeks us out, the kingdom of God is near. What does that mean? It is the Holy Spirit working in our lives. And Jesus was trying to teach them that as they were going out, it isn't their power, but the kingdom of God's power in Jesus' name that was going to go with them. Very specific, very simple instructions. And so, here they go out. Certain towns accept them. Certain towns reject them. And this is a plain and simple story, but it actually reflects our everyday lives. As you go out into this, into this life, wherever you go. And then they returned. And this is what happened. The 72 returned with joy. You see, with obedience, they followed exactly what Jesus told them to do. In obedience, they went out in faith. No food, no money, no nothing. Depending 100% on what Jesus had told them. The simple instructions. And they were victorious. And they came down and they 72 returned in verse 17 with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in our name. Even the demons. And then in verse 18 he says, and he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. You see, when God sends us, when God chooses us, he doesn't send us empty-handed. He sends us with power, with authority, not from our own. And so, we see this, but here's Jesus, and you see how he's, he doesn't want us to focus on the authority and the power, because that's the way the world is, right? right? That's the world, the, the world is all about authority and power, and we see that in the news with, you know, you know, the United States having a lot of power, being able to go to Yemen, and with boats and ships from afar, be able to bomb and see from satellites, that's authority and power. And that's, that's what people respect, authority and power. But what does Jesus say? He says, don't rejoice in that. That's not what you're to rejoice in. You're not to rejoice in the power that you have over things. You're not to rejoice in all those things. That's the way the world thinks. He goes, you're to rejoice in the fact that your names are written in heaven. That is the rejoicing. 
You see, they came back. This is just a sign. They came back joyous that they had done all these great things. Right? Signs and wonders. And God wants us to see the signs and wonders of his glory and power. But he doesn't want us to rejoice in that. He wants us to rejoice when a sinner asks for forgiveness and gives their heart to the Lord. That is what we are to rejoice in. We are to praise God for what he does. We are to rejoice in the salvation that he brings. This points us back to the vision of what Jesus had. And that is what we are asked to do. You see, and this is the difference between where God wants to take us and where the disciples are. This is the difference between where God wants us to be here on this earth, here and now, and versus where the world is. The world does things very differently. Very differently. And in the same way that the Jews had a perspective of how things should be, and the world today has a perspective of how things should be, sometimes we actually come into the church with our own perspectives of how things should be, don't we? I, I was looking up, I wanted to see, okay, I asked myself, if I was to do a survey of people in the church, Pentecostal evangelical people in the church to go to church today, how many of them would have what we call the worldview. Do you know what a worldview is? Some of you want a worldview. A worldview is how you see the world. Do you see the world through the lens of what you learn in Scripture and what the Spirit shows you? Is that how you see the world? That we're in the end times? That God is pouring out His Spirit? And He is pouring out His Spirit. I mean, it, it started a couple of hundred years ago. It did. I mean, we, we talk about how Azusa Street, but it even happened a hundred years before that. The great awakenings that came. Slowly and slowly, God building up. Right? The birth pains that are coming. I mean, in, in 1807, I mean, it started then. In 1807, you've got to understand, there's only 5 million people in the United States. There were no cars. And in 1807, 25,000 people showed at a camp event because the Holy Spirit was moving. 25,000. And they came walking and with horse and buggy from all over the United States. And people were shaking, were laughing, were falling on the ground. And then throughout those hundred years, moments in time, God was penetrating both, both here and in England, where at least we've recorded it. But there are other places probably in the world where this was happening. And then it started getting... Stronger and stronger, and the Holy Spirit started working more, and then, and then it came to North America, and then Europe, England, and Wales. And then you had this great outpouring of the Spirit, and it continues to this day. To the point now where Pentecostal Charismatics are actually the largest Protestant denomination in the world. But here's what shocked me the most. Despite that, how many of them have a worldly perspective on things and how many have a godly, biblical perspective on things? 
only 10%. When they randomly pick people from the church and they ask them questions about what's your perspective on life, on government, on issues of our day, only 10% have a biblical, godly worldview. That is shocking. That is shocking. There is something wrong when only one in 10 Christians who go to church read the Bible. Like these are people who go to church and read the Bible and only one in 10 see the world through the eyes that Christ would want us to see. And there's a battle going on. And it's infiltrated our schools with the little children being taught worldly ways of thinking. Unusual ways of thinking about sexuality. And many people in the church are starting to say, well, you know, maybe there is some truth to that. And that's just one topic. There are so many other topics. I just don't understand that. One in ten, that shocked me. Does that shock you, church? It should shock you. How could it be that we as Christians, when we read the Bible, we have the Holy Spirit, only one in ten of us see the world in a biblical way? Something is wrong. Something is definitely wrong that needs to be fixed. But Jesus proclaimed this, despite everything that's going on. He knew that there'd be victory. He knew that there'd be victory. And in verse 21, he says this, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things. And what is he talking about? What is he, what is he hidden? The signs and wonders, as we call them, that they had just seen as they had gone out into the villages. That you have hidden these things from the wise and the understanding and revealed them to little children. You see, what Jesus is saying here is all those people who think that they're smart, all those people who have lots of little numbers beside their name for years and years of schooling, all those people who spend, you know, a lifetime trying to be ahead and to think and, and to be, excel in being scholars, Pharisees. God has not revealed his glory to them, his wisdom. He's revealed it to the little children. Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and the Father except the Son, and anyone whom the Son chooses to reveal it. And then he goes on in verse 23, and blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you, many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it and hear it, what you hear and did not hear it as well. Sorry, I can say that again. They did not see it and to hear what you hear, they did not hear it. So what is it that enabled the 72 to go out into the villages and to hear and see things that even the prophets and kings of old could not see. Even the most learned and wise of the time will not be able to understand and hear. 
but only they would understand and hear. Only they would. Well, I believe that there's many things that are a problem, but there are a few that I want to speak to today that we need to overcome. And there are things that are holding us back, for sure. There are things that are holding us back. And I think there's some common things that are holding us back that we need to deal with. And I think if we start to look at what's holding us back, and we start to recognize that and confess that in our lives, I think that we can be the little children that receive more and more. Because the grace you've been given now, God wants to give more. The Spirit and its work in your life that He's given you to now, He wants to pour out even more and more and more. God wants the world to know who He is, and He's chosen broken vessels like you and I that He's remolded, and He wants to make us His light, His salt in this earth. But here's the first thing that I think that's happening. That we have to realize that in our human nature, our core human nature is we don't want to change. We don't want to change. You do any survey in any population, the UK, the US, here, and you ask, do you get nervous when there's change? Three-quarters of the population, two-thirds to three-quarters of the population will always say yes. I get anxiety, I get nervous when there's change. So guess what happens? People would rather live in their misery because they know what it is than change into something that might be better. That's true. People would rather stay in the comfort of their stagnant life than try to change it and do something more. Because it's less risk. It's safer. When Jesus sent out the 72... He was saying, are you willing to take on the risk of following what I have to, to give you? I have a funny story. It sort of illustrates this attitude. A story about a, a doctor whose patient came to see him. And so this patient lives in a family where for decades they've, they've you know, had family rituals, Pizza night, right? Movie night. They have a certain lifestyle. They've lived that way. They've gotten into a pattern of living. Everything's going great. But all of a sudden, the father doesn't feel well. So he's, he decides to go and visit the doctor. So he goes to the doctor. Goes to the doctor, does all these tests, you know, blood tests and everything like that. And... He, the doctor comes out and says, Sir, you need to change your lifestyle. If you continue living the way you do, eating the what you do, watching football all night, every night, staying on the couch, doing whatever you do, if that's the way you're going to live, I've asked you about your life, what you do with your family, what you do, if that's the way you live, you're going to die in 30 days. You need to change your whole life and maybe, maybe you'll live a few years. 
So the guy thought to himself, gee, what's going to happen? I go, my wife, my children, my family, my extended family, we always do this. Every Sunday we go to chorus and we have a huge, nice meal. We always have these get-togethers, parties. Like, I mean, this is our lifestyle. I go, what am I going to say to my family? So he thinks, and he goes, doctor, my wife isn't going to believe me if I tell her this. She won't. She's like, come on. The doctor didn't tell you that. You're just doing that because you, you don't want to, you don't like my cooking or something. So he goes to the doctor, doctor, please, you got to do me a favor. You got to call my home and tell my wife, please. So when I get there, she'll at least know that what I'm saying is true and not a lie. Doctor says, okay, I'll go. So he goes home, the doctor calls the wife, has a chat with the wife, comes to the door, the wife comes and embraces him and says, oh honey, I just got off the phone with the doctor, he told me everything, we had a long discussion, and, and this so saddens me, but you're going to die in 30 days. You see, we are so, so driven in our human nature not to change. And it's, it's a funny story, but there's a lot of truth to how we behave. We like comfort. We like to have things the way they are. But you see, in life, there is no stagnation. There is no status quo. You are either slaves to one thing and free to the other or slaves to the other and free from one the other. And you guys know where I'm going with this. Romans 6, 20 to 22. So when you were slaves to sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. Do you see that? Many people say, I don't want to be a Christian because then there's all these rules. Well, I'd like to clarify something here today. 70 to 90% of every choice you make today is predictable. Come on, Pastor Julio, that isn't true. Yeah, it is true. It's a proven fact. You are so predictable based on how you've been raised, culturally, where you grew up, how you live, the choices that you make, the fact that you're habitual and don't like change, that 70 to 90% of all your choices every day have already been predetermined about how you're going to actually behave. That's crazy. You really don't have free choice. So even when you're not under Christ, what do you wonder? Who's influencing you? Where are you getting the ideas that you have? Where are you getting the attitudes that you have? Remember we talked about the worldview and only 10% have a biblical worldview? Well, if they don't have a biblical worldview, where are they getting their worldview from? The Bible says you either are slaves to sin and free in regard to righteousness or it says later you either are free from sin in verse 22 and become slaves to God and you have to choose. And you see here they're not talking just about Oh, sin, I'm not going to go out and murder somebody. I'm going to be a good moral person. No, no. The word slave here in the Greek means 
that you no longer are in control of your life. You recognize. What Paul is trying to teach us here is you either are a slave to whatever you allow to influence your life. You're never free. Never. So unless you want to become a lighthouse operator in the middle of nowhere, you are going to be a slave to something. And even then, if you have TV, you're going to be a slave to whatever values and beliefs come out of Netflix or, or commercials or whatever you watch, you're going to be a slave to that. And you have to choose. You either are a slave to God, His Word, His Spirit, His way of doing things, or you're a slave to the world. And the shocking thing is, is that the Bible says that, that we have to make a choice. Yet in the church, I'm not saying a 10% here, but in the church on average in North America, 90% are still after receiving Christ, allow themselves to be slaves to the world. And I'm not talking about that they go out and sin and get drunk and get high and do bad things. That's not what we're talking about here. Because see, if you look at the scripture, it says, become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification. Sanctification is a process in which God takes us through and is improving us every single day. You see, when Luke, in Luke 9.23, Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. You see, the first thing we've got to do is we've got to deny ourselves. We've got to deny ourselves. Deny our identity. I mean, this morning I went to one of the, the young adults and I said, you were born here, eh? And she goes, yeah. I go, well, you're a Canuck, aren't you? And she goes, yeah. Well, even that I've got to deny. No, I am not Canadian. I may be Canadian by birth. Yes, I've been Canadian influenced. But first and foremost, I am a child of God. I am saved. I have been kept for a glorious purpose. I am a servant of Christ, a slave to God. And that should be our identity. That should be the very first thing that comes to mind. Where are you from? Where I'm from doesn't matter. I know we do that every day here with the cup and it's fun and we do it. But where I come from doesn't matter. It's where I'm going that matters. And that is our identity. And shockingly, many, many of us do not understand that. And that is why in Romans it says in 12.2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. See, even back then this was going on. And little by little, we get creep in to living a comfortable life in this world. And so the first thing that we need to do is to realize that when God sends out the 72 when God chose you, when God appointed you, it was not to be comfortable. Like Pastor Joel said last week, to be inconvenienced. We are meant to be inconvenienced. We are. That is why Paul called us ambassadors. If I was chosen to be an ambassador, 
I don't know, pick somewhere else in the world that's really crazy, anywhere, I'm going to feel like a fish out of water because this is the lifestyle I'm used to. Right? I'm used to going to the store and picking up ketchup for my fries. There are places in the world where they don't have ketchup or the ketchup tastes very different and I don't like the way it tastes. But that's the, that's the notion that Paul was trying to t- say. You should not be comfortable in this world. You should not be comfortable with how things are done at work. You should not be comfortable with how things are done in schools. You should not be comfortable with how things happen around you. If you're not, if you're comfortable, there's a problem. And that's the first thing that we have to face. We have to become uncomfortable. Here's the second thing, another funny story. I think sometimes our expectations get in the way. And this is a story from about, I'd say about 100 years ago. And it's in the States. And it's about a family from Tennessee. And, you know, they grew up in the backwoods. You know, they hadn't really seen, you know, the new invention of cars. There were a few in the big cities. And, and they heard about really strange things and buildings that were higher and you didn't have to climb the stairs. And so they decided to go to the big city and check it out. And so all of a sudden, the family comes into this big building and the father, you know, is roaming around looking at something and the wife says, I, I'm going I'm to roam around, I'm taking Billy with me. So she takes Billy with her and they're walking around and then she comes to this big, big wall and they look like there's these metal doors there in this big wall, you know, like there's these metal doors. And she's looking at this, she goes, what's this? I've never seen anything like this. So all of a sudden, the metal door opens. You know, you know, the cage opens, right? And then all of a sudden behind her, there's this old man, you know, older man. Hair was not really neat, you know, didn't really tidy himself, sort of with a cane. Walks in, goes into this metal box, the door's closed, boom. She goes, oh, where's, what happened to that guy? That room looked so small. And after a few minutes of her looking around, all of a sudden she hears the clank again. All of a sudden the door opens. And out comes this young man with a briefcase, walks out, starts going out of there. And she looks with amazement. She goes, Billy, go get your dad. It's a funny story, but it really talks to what our expectations are. You see, she had these preconceived notions of what good and bad is, right? Of what, how things should be and how things shouldn't be. Well, that is, that is how we are as Christians. We come with that baggage. And that is what the Spirit is trying to transform us and change us and, and make us into something new. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. You are all new creations. The old has passed away and behold, the new has come. We are new creations. We have to leave our expectations behind. We have to trust God. And we have to realize that when he has guided us, there is a purpose. There is a purpose. 
And is it going to be easy? No, it won't be easy. It's not going to be easy all the time. God never promised it would be easy. And in fact, I am so glad that it isn't easy. Because if it was easy, there would be no growth. If it was easy, there would be no transformation. If it was easy, we would never learn. Romans 5, 3 to 5 says this, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, right? Do you rejoice in your sufferings? That's kind of hard to do. I don't know. I have a hard time doing that. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, but then if we take a biblical worldview, you see this? A biblical worldview. Suffering produces endurance. So when you're suffering, do you think about, okay, I'm going through this, God is teaching me endurance in this time, in this season. And endurance produces character. God is building up my character. See, that takes, that takes a humble humility. That my character needs molding. I'm not done yet. And even at my age, after decades of being a Christian, I need to, be real, I need to realize that my character continues to be built up. I am not finished work. In fact, my lifetime is probably not long enough for God to do what he needs to do with me. That is a biblical worldview. As soon as we stop to think and we think, oh, I've been a Christian for five decades, six decades. There's not much else God has to do with me. There's not much else I can do. That's it. You've lost. Sufferings produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not put, to, put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into the hearts, into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And this is the difference between the 72 and us today as Pentecost happened. And if the 72 can be sent out without the Holy Spirit, just simply following Christ's instructions, believing him in the simple instructions he gave to just use the name of Jesus, that they could achieve so much, how much more with us having received the Holy Spirit can do? Amen. Now that's why I'm shocked why only one in ten actually have a biblical perspective. How can that be? How can that be? I think there are always many reasons. And what I would encourage us to do is self-reflection in our lives. We resist change all the time. We do. But we need to change all the time. Why? Why do we need to change all the time? Because we just read in Scripture that we are constantly needing to be transformed. We are never in an end state. In fact, we should welcome it. You should be saying, Lord, okay, what do you have for me this week? I'm ready. Why am I ready? Because you've given me the Holy Spirit. You've promised to be with me all the time. I want to be used by you more and more every day. I want to be inconvenienced. I want to grow. I want to change. I am not happy with who I am. I am not happy with the fact that all my neighbors are not following you. 
that people at work don't know you, that my family, my entire family doesn't know you. I am not happy with that. So if it needs to start with me, start with me now. That is the biblical worldview. I come in on Sunday to hear the word of God because faith increases by hearing, right? So then I can go out into the world and do the Lord's work. If you have the gift of discernment, if you're at work and you're plowing the shovel into the ground, are you calling on the Spirit, Lord, I am here. I am digging this trench, but I am here ready to be used. Maybe you're at work and you're the type like me that sits there and does this. But there's dozens of people around me. Lord, I am here. Mold me, change me. William Booth, you guys know who William Booth is? Salvation Army. He said this. You can learn a lot from each other. And he said this, faith and works should travel side by side. Right? Faith without works is dead. Right? He said this, faith and works should travel side by side. Step answering step. Like the legs of a man walking. First faith. See that? First faith. And then works. And then faith again. And then works again. Until they can scarcely distinguish which one and which is the other. Do you see that? As we grow, as we're transformed, as we work out our works of service, as we work out our gifts, we should be step by step. Faith, serve. Faith, serve. We should constantly be in a service state. Constantly. You need to serve? You need to serve? Guess what happens when you serve? Great things happen when you serve. Great things happen when you serve. The other day, when we had finished our banquet, a bunch of us, and this isn't even organized by a church, a bunch of people in this church had been going around to these areas where people who can't afford a home are having to live in tents in this cold weather and they've been going, they've been going giving them food. And so we've been taking whatever food is left over and giving it to them. Clothes, giving it to them. And we go there and you shake their hands. Don't be afraid. Shake their hands. Say, how are you doing? My name is Julio. How are you? There was this man there, and he says, I'm looking for track pants. And I said, they've got to be in one of these bags. He goes, you need some help looking? He goes, no, no, thank you. I, I, I can do it. That's one little thing. And see, we obediently went. And when I left, I was sad for those people, but there was a joy in my heart too. There was a joy. 
See, we felt Christ leading us there. We obediently went. All we did was take food that was left over and clothes and gave it to them. And what happened? There were some smiles and some people came out. Is that going to change them in one day? No. That won't change them. But what happens if we go this week? What happens if someone else goes next week? What happens if somebody goes and starts talking to them and sharing the gospel to them and praying with them? What happens when all these things start to happen and the church starts to be active? What about children? Our children are hearing garbage worldview. Right? One in ten have a biblical worldview. Garbage every day, Monday through Friday. On TV, in the schools. Well, in the church, we have an opportunity to give them the biblical worldview. And some of you might have on your hearts to actually want to bless these children. And you can. If that's on your heart, then go. Because this is what the Lord, this is what the scripture says. Scripture says that you have been appointed. You have been appointed. You have been chosen and you have been appointed. Do you believe that, church? Do you believe that you have been chosen? Do you? I don't hear a big amen. Do you believe that you have been chosen? Do you believe that you have been appointed? Oh, come, I don't hear enough amens there. If you believe that you've been appointed, that means that you believe that God has a role for you. God has something that he is calling you to do. And just like step by step, your faith, where are your works? Where are your works? What is God putting on your heart? And that will bear fruit. And so today, I am asking you, and I call up the band, I'm asking you today to really, really think about and reflect. And please stand. Please stand with me. To really, really reflect on what God has appointed you for in life. What he has chosen you for. And it's going to take you having to be transformed. Yes, being transformed is not going to be easy. It won't. It won't be easy. But if you step out in faith, God will provide. And I'll give you an example in my life. I was working at a very intense job on Bay Street for many years, many years. And God called me to prepare. And so 
I prayed, and, and, and my wife prayed, and we prayed, and we said, okay, Lord, should I quit? And strangely enough, the Lord said, no, I don't want you to quit. He gave me scripture where Paul was the tent builder, and even though he had the right to a salary and to work in the church, he didn't want me to quit. And so I said, Lord, I, I can't do this. I work 70, 80 hours a week already. And you want me to go to school? You want me to prepare? And so I looked into it and I'm going, even if I work, if I go to school part-time, I have a family, I have a mortgage, I got to work. How is this going to happen? And I was a pastor at this church at the time. And so I said, okay, Lord, we prayed and we felt I will apply to a university, a Christian university. And so I applied to this Christian university. Christian university. And it said that in order for you to come in and enter into a program that they had for far part-time people, part-time studies, you have to be a pastor in a church. So here's God's telling me, I'm working 78 hours a week that I got to go to school and prepare. And I, in this program, it says you got to be a pastor. I said, no problem, I'm a pastor. I'm a pastor at Logos Christian Family Church. I meet the criteria. You got to have this other criteria. I meet that criteria. Then God said, now I have something else I want to ask of you. I want you to leave Logos. Wait, wait, wait a minute. I got to work 78 hours a week. I got to step down as a pastor on staff which is a prerequisite for me getting into this program. And it's a difficult program to get into. And you want me to get, where do you want me to go? And he sent me downtown to a small little church that some of you know. It's on the second floor above a furniture store at the corner of Bathurst and Queen. That used to be a biker shop tattoo biker shop was turned into a church and so I said okay Lord I will go down I resigned and some of you know because some of you are here when that happened I resigned and I went downtown and so now I'm here simple ask from the Lord I no longer have the qualifications to get into the university I now work too much and have to go to school. And on the first day that I volunteered to work with the homeless people that come into the church, I felt like a fish out of water. I was so nervous. I go, Lord, what am I doing here? This is crazy. And then in the first service, like, guys, this is nice. This is quiet and organized. It is disorganized. At any second, you could have somebody coming through that door and saying, Hey, Pastor Bill, how are you? Right in the middle of service. And Bill would have to say, Hey, hey, Rick, how are you? Yeah, yeah, we're just in the middle of service. You know, oh, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. Well, why don't you come in and join us? I don't want to. I just came in to say hi. And I'm like, Lord, I was just in a moment. Here, this guy's yelling in the middle of service. And those first few months were like really, really hard. And they would let the little kids run around 
Because what they did is, they, they, at, during, during service, sometimes they would put the little children at the front. So just imagine the small little children they put at the front here. They tell all the, bring your children to the front. And they did crayons. And as they were worshiping, the children were crayons and everything. And sometimes they would run up and down. And then Starbucks would donate food and coffee to the church. And so people would come in with Starbucks and coffee and go, um, 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 uh, service going on. Kids coloring and running around. I'm going, I can't do church this way. This is impossible. How am I supposed to concentrate and focus on you? My life was turned upside down. After a while, God taught me how to focus on him through the noise. And it wasn't about the environment on the outside that needed to be controlled. It was the environment on the inside that needed to be controlled. And that's what I learned. And then a company that I'd worked for for many years came and said, Julia, we'd like you to join us. That's out of the blue. It was a smaller company. And my workload, as soon as I started, went from 80 hours a week down to 40 hours a week. And then I walked into Tyndale and I said, look, I resigned my position as a pastor. I'm no longer a pastor. And I don't know what's going to happen. Eventually I became an elder, but I didn't feel like being a pastor at that church was what God was calling to me to, but to actually learn, to actually suffer a little, to actually go through inconvenience and suffering. I was spat on. I was pushed. I was sweared at. You name it. When it comes to learning how to turn the other cheek, you're going to learn how to turn the other cheek in a ministry like that. And so the university said, we've prayed about it, and we're going to let you in. And so here I am thinking that this is what I have to control in my life. And all Jesus had was very simple instructions. Resign made no sense. Why would I resign from being a pastor at a church, large church in Mississauga, to go downtown? That doesn't make sense, Lord. Why would I? Why would I go to school to add twenty to forty more hours on an eight-hour week? That makes no sense. But that's what William Booth was talking about: faith and step, faith and step. You need to take the first step of faith. And the faith that works. Just go step by step. Don't worry about the future. What's on your heart? What is God putting on? God, you just said amen that God has chosen you and he sees you in the heavenly places. And he has appointed you. The laborers are few. What has God put on your heart? He is calling you today. He is calling you today. Let's bow our heads. I believe here today there are people saying, I need to step out in faith. I know I've been appointed for something. 
And Lord, here I am praying, help me to step out of faith. I know in my heart that God is calling me to do something. And Lord, I am here and willing, show me what you want from me. I am surrendering everything to you. My convenience, my comfort, my life. If there is more, I surrender. If that is how you feel this morning, put up your hand. All heads are bowed. Put up your hands. Yes, I see that hand. Yes. Yes, I see all those hands. Keep them up. Raise your hands. Saying, Lord, I feel you're calling me. I feel you're calling me for more than what I have yet given. And I am surrendering. And this is my first step of faith. Give me clear instructions like you gave the 72. And the Lord will give you those instructions. And Father, I pray you see those hands. Those hands raised to you. I am one of the 72, Lord. Tell me where I should go. What are your instructions? Lord, today I ask that your spirit would stir up, stir up a new joy, a new fire, a new fervor. Help them to see where you want them to be in this body. Help us to go down the path that you choose. And Lord, I pray for each person that put up their hand today that you would bless them and guide them and give them strength and that your spirit would start to work in their lives and that they would experience the joy, even more joy than they've experienced to date. More joy. And that they would see the things, the blessed things as they step out in faith of what you're doing through their lives. We thank you and we praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 As we finish today in praise, I just encourage you to step out. Don't worry about how it'll come out to be. Don't worry about that. Just be like the 72. You've been chosen. You've been appointed for great things. To see great things. To have joy. Abundant joy. But we first must take a step forward. Amen? Amen. God bless you. Please.